You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 104 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Smith, and today we are talking about something very prevalent this time of year, and that is fixing storm damage or dealing with storm damage in the garden. Dealing with storm damage is probably a better way of saying it because not all storm damage is something that you are going to want to intervene in and fix. And I'm going to be going over why we're going to be talking about things like wind, hail, way too much rain, all that kind of stuff, how to deal with the damage it wreaks upon your vegetable garden in the safest way that's going to help your plants recover and help them kind of get back on their feet, so to speak. So we're going through all of that today, but first a word from our sponsor. So you have probably dealt with some storms already in the garden this year, and the threat of storm damage is something that most of us have to worry about. If you live in a place where you're blessed with pretty much perennially, you know, lovely weather, I mean, good for you. I am super happy that you don't have to worry about nasty storms getting in the way of having a lovely harvest. But especially for gardeners in the Midwestern United States, where storms that spawn tornadoes throw down bucket loads of hail. And then for those of you who don't live in the Midwestern United States, I'm sure you have storms or storm systems that send down tons and tons of rain for days at a time, and you have to figure out how to deal with that kind of damage. So There are a lot of us that are having to deal with these issues, but don't worry because there are things that you can do to both prevent and even fix storm damage in the garden. So let's start with preventing storm damage in the garden. That old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and and that definitely does hold true when it comes to storm damage. And believe it or not, there I mean, there are a few things you can do to help the odds of your garden making it through a spring or summer storm without excessive damage. So first on that list is make sure that your plants have proper support. So when I first started gardening, I rigged my own trellises up out of whatever I had on hand because I wasn't sure if I was going to really get into gardening and I didn't want to invest a whole lot. And you know what? If that's you, that's totally fine. But if you're going to rig up your own trellises, then you need to make sure that they are strong. I had made mine out of bamboo poles that I had lashed together with twine. And were they perfectly fine on a calm, you know, spring or summer day? Yes, absolutely. But the second that they got covered with plants and leaves and then a strong storm came through with 
really high winds. It caught that kind of screen of leaves on the trellis and just caught it like a sail, just blew it straight over. So you want to make sure that if you are using supports for your plants, like a trellis, that they are strong and that they are very well anchored. So something that I have started doing, in addition to making sure that my trellises aren't flimsy, is anchoring them to something. So I used to just lean my trellises up to something, but now I anchor the trellis to my garden fence. And I have a picture of this in the sister post for this episode, which is always you can access in the show notes to this episode. But I anchor my smaller trellises with wire. So things like, I guess you wouldn't say it's a trellis, a bean pole. I secure my bean poles with wire to my garden fence. If I have something that's sturdier, say I'm growing my winter squash vertically, that's obviously going to need something much stronger. And so I have wooden trellises and I don't just, you know, stake those into the ground. I actually secure those to the back portion of my garden fence as well. And you can kind of see how I did that in the sister post to this episode. It was kind of a little DIY. So if you have kind of those lattice trellises, this little sort of piece of wood that we screwed to the lattice trellis and then kind of anchored over the you know, the back of the fence works super, super well. Shallow rooted plants is another thing that we need to talk about when we talk about prevention. So if certain plants like corn and peppers, they have shallow root systems that don't give them a ton of support, especially during strong summer storms. So when you plant them, you should think about where in your garden gets the least amount of wind exposure. I know that this isn't always possible. Like maybe your garden is just going to get a lot of wind exposure and, and that's that's that. You don't really have any options. Or, as you should, you practice crop rotation. You know, you don't plant peppers in the same place every year. Or you don't plant corn in the same bed every year and you need to move it around. And because you move it around, you're exposing it to different levels of wind currents in your garden. So if you can't always plant your pepper or your corn in sort of a sheltered area, those shallow rooted plants, that's okay. If you've already planted them, if you have to plant them in a place where they get a decent amount of of wind exposure, there are still a few things that you can do in terms of prevention. You can mound up extra soil at the base of the stem to provide extra support. This is called hilling up. Or I'm a firm believer in staking just about anything if it seems like it could use the help. So like I said a few episodes ago when I talked about how to stake your garden plants and which ones benefit from staking, corn and peppers were on my list for this very reason because they have shallow root systems. And when high winds come along, especially when they're loaded up with fruit, they can topple over really easily. I have absolutely staked every single stalk of corn in my garden with a bamboo pole or a piece of cedar, like a cedar stake driven into the ground and bound with reusable Velcro gardening tape. I have absolutely done that. I've also done that with pepper plants in an effort to keep storm damage from happening, from high winds blowing them over. And we'll talk about what to do when wind blows them over. But if you can prevent it in the first place, that's obviously going to be ideal. 
Next up in terms of prevention, and you know, this this really kind of goes hand in hand with shallow rooted plants, but there are some plants where this is the case where they don't have shallow roots, and that is heavy fruiting plants. So plants that end up with heavy fruit, like tomatoes and eggplants, or have somewhat brittle stems and branches, like pepper plants, are helped out during storms by extra support from stakes, like we talked about, or from tomato cages or wire fencing. Tomato cages for heavy fruiting plants are going to be especially advantageous because, you know, no matter which way the wind blows at them, they're going to have a little bit of support on all sides. Now, tomato cages aren't always a reasonable option, especially if you are growing tomato plants that are humongous or if you have bell pepper plants that end up six feet tall. Tomato cages that big are going to get really, really expensive. So a lot of times I will create my own sort of makeshift tomato cages out of steel gardening stakes and reusable kind of gardening wire. And this is something that you can see an example of in the sister post for this episode, kind of how I go, I go about doing that. Now, is it the neatest, tidiest thing? Is it as neat and nice looking as a tomato cage that I purchased for 40 or $50 a piece? No, it's not. But you know what? It definitely works. So I'm totally okay with it. The next thing that you can do in terms of prevention, and I mean, this is this is really only going to be something that people who are either just starting out or people who are considering building a brand new garden somewhere else on their property or at a new property are going to be able to do. Some of us, we are already growing where we're going to grow. We don't really have any options when it comes to moving our garden. But if you can ensure from the get-go that your garden has proper drainage when you build it, whether you're building it in the ground or whether you're building raised beds, that is going to help you a lot in terms of prevention, especially when it comes to getting way too much rain, which happens to all of us at some time or another. So raised bed gardens are going to be a really good option if you are in a geographic location that has a tendency to get way too much rain a lot of the time. They're always going to drain better and faster than in-ground gardens, unless those in-ground gardens are built using mounded rows. And I have a link to what's meant by mounded rows in the sister post if you're if you're curious about that. If you have had water problems in the past and you've been looking for a solution and you have an in-ground garden, mounded rows are going to be a really good option for you. But raised beds are really nice because they, you know, they are up high and They can drain through the slats in the wood, and if you get four inches of rain in one day, you know, your garden soil will be pretty much back to normal in a couple days on its own. You don't have to do anything to remediate the situation. Another thing you can do to ensure your garden has proper drainage is to add sand to heavy soil. If you don't have raised beds, if you have an in-ground garden and, you know, building raised beds is not in your immediate future because raised beds are expensive. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You can still improve the drainage of just about any soil by adding in some coarse sand, sort of just mixing that into your existing soil. Sand improves drainage by preventing too many silt 
particles from sticking together all at once and creating pockets of air for water to flow into instead of sitting around at or near the surface of the soil where it can cut off the flow of oxygen to the roots and, and suffocate or literally drown the plant. That's how we end up with problems when it comes to way too much rain is the rain has nowhere to go and it kind of just sits stagnant on the surface because it's not draining into the soil like it should. Believe it or not, roots need oxygen and if water isn't draining through the soil, then those roots are probably being suffocated. So adding sand to your soil is just going to create those little pockets of air, create pockets for water to flow instead of sitting at the surface. So the very last thing that we can do in terms of prevention is to reduce the impact of hail. Now this is only going to be applicable to your small plants but you know what? If you are doing succession planting this time of year, that's still going to be relevant, right? So I'm actually putting out my fall broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts. I'm putting those all out this weekend. So even though it's July, I still have tiny little baby plants, seedlings that I'm putting out in the garden that you know what, we have some pretty strong storms that roll through in July that I need to possibly protect from hail. So for seedlings that are small enough to fit under them, I recommend covering them with a cloche. Now, a cloche, you do not have to go and buy anything fancy from a garden supply store or Amazon or anything like that. I've said it before, I'm a big fan of reusing you know, things that people might otherwise think of as trash. I use plastic milk jugs with the bottom cut off as cloches. I don't leave the lids on because that has a tendency to trap too much heat, especially in the summer underneath the milk jug, and it can kind of fry your plants. So leave the lid off. But yeah, just cut off like the bottom couple inches of the milk jug. Put a bamboo stake down through the soil near the seedling. Make sure that, you know, you're not damaging the seedling. Try your best to avoid damaging the roots of the seedling. And then you just place the milk jug down over the bamboo pole so that the bamboo pole kind of like anchors it in place and keeps the milk jug from blowing away during a strong storm. I try to press the bottom edge of the milk jug down into the soil as best I can uh, and then kind of mulch around it. Again, the mulch kind of helps keep it in place, keeps it from blowing away if things get really windy. Then if it does hail, it's not going to be battering those tiny little seedlings to death. It's going to be hitting those milk jugs and pretty much bouncing right off of them and it works really, really well. Now, does this mean having a whole bunch of cut-off milk jugs sitting somewhere around in your home? Yes. I have like 20 of them. And sometimes they can get in the way, but they do stack really easily. And I can get a dozen of them set up in like five minutes if I know a hailstorm is coming our way or if it's in the forecast. You do get a little bit of a trashy vibe when you set them out in the garden. They don't look the prettiest, but it's fine. It's worth it when your seedlings are still alive the next day after everything else has been beaten down by the hail. So I think it's, it's totally worth looking like you have a bunch of milk jugs growing up out of your garden. 
Okay, so that's all the prevention stuff. Those are a bunch of different things that you can do to prevent damage to your garden in the first place. Let's talk about fixing storm damage in the garden. So this is a whole other set of issues. Rather than trying to prevent something, you're you're literally performing damage control at this point. You're trying to keep a plant from dying. You're trying to keep a plant healthy, helping it recover. So these are the most common forms of storm damage in the garden and how to remedy them and when to leave them alone. So first up, leaning broken or toppled plants. This can happen for a lot of different reasons. Leaning is usually because of wind. Broken a lot of times will be either because of wind, high wind, or hail. And then toppled plants is is most likely going to be because of wind. Hail very rarely completely topples a plant over. And even then, it's, it's usually probably kind of more beaten it down than it has toppled it. And you might not be able to save it. But if you have a plant that's leaning, but its roots haven't been ripped out of the ground by the force of the wind, leave it alone. This is one of those cases where you should not try to fix it. Because believe it or not... Most of the time, plants that are leaning will right themselves. They will follow the course of the sun over the sky, and they will naturally pull themselves upward. So I want you to fight the urge to set it right yourself. Worst case scenario, they get partially back to vertical, and they're a little wonky, but it's okay. They will still produce fruit just fine. If you try to set it right yourself, honestly, most people, and I have done this, Most people actually end up breaking the plant and doing more harm than good. So you'll be trying to kind of set it up straight and you'll break the the main stem. And if that happens, it's done for. Or you will accidentally partially rip the roots out of the ground and then you've disturbed the entire root system. And if you have a mature plant, it's going to have a really hard time recovering. So if you have a plant that's leaning, leave it alone let it do its thing. I promise you more often than not, it will fix itself. If you have a plant that is broken, but is still salvageable. So in other words, it hasn't broken off at the main stem. Take a good sharp pair of pruning shears that are clean and cut just below the damage. This clean cut will heal much faster than the torn plant tissue that's caused by the wind. So I know it can feel really heartbreaking sometimes, but if a branch has broken or if a lateral stem has has broken, just cut it off. It's, it's gonna heal a lot faster. Another reason why you want to go ahead and cut it off instead of just leaving it there is dead plant matter is a magnet for plant fungus, disease, pests. There's all kinds of pests that look for dead plant matter to live in, lay their eggs on, all kinds of stuff. So by cutting it off and getting rid of it, not only are you kind of helping your plant heal faster, but you are also reducing the likelihood that it is going to get sick or infested. And then finally, if you have a plant that has been fully blown over, and its roots have been ripped from the ground. You can try to right it, to set it up straight, and rebury the roots. This has happened to me with corn stalks before. Now, plants whose roots have only partially been ripped out have the best chance of survival. 
I will say that plants that have been completely ripped out, and it does happen, might not fare as well. But it, I mean, at that point, what do you have to lose? It's still worth a try. In either case, you're going to want to stake those plants after you set them upright and rebury the roots because the roots are like a hand that reach down into the ground and kind of grab into the ground and hold them steady, hold them upright, give them support. And those roots, I mean, they're going to be super loose and they're just not going to give the plant the support that it needs, even if they are feeding it you know, with nutrients from the soil, even if they are taking up water from the soil, they just, they aren't providing that support anymore. So if you have a plant that's been completely toppled over and you're trying to save it and you, you put it up, you rebury the roots, stake it, give it that artificial support until the roots recover. They may recover and be able to give it, you know, the support they once did. They may not. Honestly, it depends on where the plant is in its maturity cycle. Plants that are pretty far along in their maturity cycle, honestly, you're going to be really lucky to just get the roots to recover enough to keep feeding the plant with nutrients and water. Fixing standing water. This is the next issue that you may have to sort of step in and intervene. If you have standing water in your garden beds, you need to get it drained fast. Like I said before, standing water cuts off the oxygen to the plant's roots, literally drowning it. And then also on top of that, if the soil gets too waterlogged, the plant's roots are getting a little bit of oxygen, but not enough, you will get root rot. So drainage is really, really important. Most plants can handle about 24 hours of being in standing water without serious damage, which honestly, when you think about how long us human beings can hold our breath, that's pretty impressive, honestly. But past 24 hours, the longer the standing water remains, the worse the odds are for that plant's survival. Another thing that can happen if you leave that standing water for too long, the sun comes out the next day, it heats up the water and literally cooks the plant, boils it. Not great, right? So standing water is something we have to deal with within the first 24 hours, if at all possible. To get rid of standing water, especially if you have a cultivated or otherwise known as in-ground garden, you need to dig channels that carry the water away from the plants. If your garden is in a low-lying area and channels aren't an option, your best bet is to remove the excess water by scooping it out where possible. And then if any additional rain is in the forecast, cover the area as best you can with a tarp. You know, you may have to put in some posts to kind of tent that tarp up so that it doesn't come down. It's not a weight on the top of the plants. It doesn't stress the plants that way. You know, make sure that you're supporting that tarp if you're using it. But Putting a tarp up is going to kind of keep that soil from getting even more waterlogged, keep any more standing water from developing. And then finally, you know, if this is your first garden in a new area and you keep finding that you're having standing water issues, think about mounding up your rows next year. Like I, well, like I talked about earlier in the episode, use mounded rows to alleviate those drainage issues. Finally, Let's talk about hail damage. I had some of this uh, about a month ago, actually. And this is the roughest kind of damage sometimes, but there 
is hope. So let's talk about leaf damage first, because this is going to be the most obvious type of hail damage, but it's, it's actually not that bad. If it's just the leaves that have been damaged, uh, and I, I have some pictures of this on the sister post for this episode, they look like Swiss cheese or they have large tears or holes in them. Honestly, the plant will come back on its own. Even sometimes, a lot of times, if the majority of the leaves have sustained heavy damage, resist the urge to cut off the damaged leaves unless they die. Why? Because some leaves will keep performing photosynthesis perfectly well, even when damaged, even if they are like ripped in half or they have serious holes in them. They will still go ahead and perform photosynthesis and perform those simple sugars that your plant needs to grow. And at that point, what it needs is for the leaves that are going to continue to function to help it continue to grow and recover. So don't go cutting off leaves that are ripped or have holes in them. If you have leaves that were so badly damaged that they're basically like pulp or they turn yellow or brown and they die, yes, absolutely cut those off. But if they just have tears or holes in them, leave them be because they're going to be able to photosynthesize just fine. If you do have a few leaves that are so badly damaged that it's basically just like the veins that are left and every once in a while we have a hailstorm that's that bad, go ahead and cut them off. Just make sure you use, like I said earlier, a good sharp pair of shears to make a clean cut that's going to heal faster. Now, will lots of hail damage on the leaves slow the plant down in terms of growth or production? Possibly, but if it's something like squash that has great big wide leaves, it's honestly not going to set it back for very long because once squash vines start to run, they start producing leaves like crazy and those damaged leaves are, are going to be just like one of many that are producing and photosynthesizing for the plant. So your plant will come back. It's, it's been crazy. I wish I had a before and after of like the worst year that I had hail damage, but I, I didn't think to take pictures of it. I had a plant, a butternut squash, I think it was, that looked so, so sad after a hailstorm. But honestly, by the end of the season, you couldn't even tell that it had been damaged at all. So if those leaves seem like they're in pretty good shape, leave them alone. The plant will recover just fine. Stem and fruit hail damage. This one is a little bit more difficult. Any stems that are partially ripped off should be cut off with shears because once those xylem and phloem that carry water up and nutrients down the stem are, are kind of cut or broken, they're just, it's, it's not going to recover and it's going to die over the course of a few days to a week, and it's going to invite rot and bacteria and fungus. So any stems that are partially ripped off and kind of just hanging by a thread, just cut those off with shears. Stems that sustain bruising can recover. So, you know, squash plants that have stems that are mostly hollow, um, sometimes those will just be bruised and you can kind of just like leave those alone. Just keep an eye on it and provide support if needed. 
plus they're also going to be vertical, that hail damage to vines isn't usually that big of a deal. Fruit that's been bruised is going to stay that way, and the bruising will likely get worse and lead to rot. So bruised fruit is honestly best removed. So like, let's say you have some tomatoes that are green and they've kind of been pummeled by hail. It's not going to get any better as the fruit ripens. It's probably best if you can tell it's already bruised, it's already damaged. You know what? Just go ahead and take it off. So you're most likely to see bruised fruit from hail on the outside of the plant and on the top of the plant. Fruit further down has a better chance of survival and not being bruised because it's protected by the leaves and the stems. So when you're looking for bruised or damaged fruit after a hailstorm, pay particularly close attention to the top and the outsides of the plant. If the plant has been absolutely pounded into the ground within an inch of its life, like let's say you had baseball size hail, softball size hail, stuff that like broke out people's windshields. I'm sorry. I hate, I hate it. I hate it for you, but it's probably not worth trying to save that plant. If the season isn't too far progressed, I'd suggest going out and trading yourself to some new seedlings, maybe plant some some fall seedlings. Like I said, this time of year, if you can find brassica seedlings for, for fall harvests, right now is the time to do it. Mid-July is the time to do it. And then any fast-growing varieties, things like spinach, things like that, that you can grow in the fall that are going to give you a good shot at a harvest, I would say treat yourself to that drown your sorrows in a few new seedlings. Hail is just when it gets that big that it starts destroying property is obviously it's a lot of times not going to be something that that you can save your garden from. And I wish there was something that you could do, you know, like tarps or something like that. But if you try to do that, the weight of the hail is just going to weigh down the tarp and then it's all going to collapse on your plants uh, and, and then it'll kind of crush them that way. So trust me, I've tried. So those are the things that you can do to prevent and fix storm damage in the garden. Hopefully that helps you out as we try to work our way through the rest of this summer. In the next episode, I am going to be talking about one of my favorite things to grow in the garden, and that is popcorn. So I have talked about growing sweet corn already and tips for growing that, but popcorn, believe it or not, is actually really pretty different. The way the plant itself behaves is different. The first time I grew it, I was like, oh my God, my corn is dying. Uh, you know, so that in and of itself is enough for you to know that that it behaves very, very differently. So we're going to be talking about, you know, how to grow popcorn, how to, the best way to harvest it, the best way to store it, all kinds of things, everything you need to know about growing popcorn in next week's episode. Until then, thank you so much as always for listening. I hope you're having a wonderful growing season and I'll talk to you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.